RadioInfluence.com You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy, as always, to have you here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Hey, want to thank all the people out there for the uh, thumbs up and the good, uh, good words that I received on Twitter and social media about the Chris Jericho interview. I've listened to it probably since we taped it, probably at least different parts of it, four or five, maybe six times now, usually about two o'clock in the morning. And, um, and, and, and I thought I, I was very happy with it. And I want to thank Chris uh, for his hospitality to have us at his palatial estate and for his openness. And I didn't point this out because uh, I had gone long, Jerry, but I told him I was going to try to go an hour without pissing him off. And he said he didn't think that was possible. He didn't get pissed off. So I, I, didn't po- I wanted to point that out at the end, but we wanted to wrap up because his time is valuable as are all our guests. Um, Chris is going to be hard to, uh, to follow, but we're going to do our best. And this week, uh, we're going to have uh, what a crazy story of this professional wrestler. Uh, we're going to get into it with him, uh, including his time in the circus in Australia, uh, how that led him to Memphis, t- Tennessee, and, and, and the crazy up-and-down career that was superstar Bill Dundee. And I'm uh, really excited to have him on the podcast this week as a guest. Um, one of the more fascinating stories and one of the things I've always wanted to know uh, from Bill was how he convinced his wife to give her, get her head shaved. Uh, they did an angle, if you're not familiar with it, where... Um, and I didn't know this. I thought Lawler was the babyface, but actually Lawler was the heel and Dundee was the babyface. And uh, Dundee put his hair up against Lawler leaving the territory. Loser leave town versus Dundee's hair. Dundee got his head shaved. Lawler won, didn't leave the territory. Which is, is pretty... At that point, is pretty... You know, that, 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 that's pretty much what you're expecting to happen, even though it was a big deal, a huge deal for Dundee at the time to get his head shaved. Uh, you know, Lawler wouldn't go in anywhere for any, for any length of time uh, back in those days. But, um, you know, he owned a piece of the company, as we'll get in with, uh, with Bill. But, but then the next week, uh, he put his wife's hair on the line against Lawler leaving town and... He cheated to win again, and she got his wife got her head shaved right in the middle of the ring. And um, so I've always wanted to ask him about that, and uh, and now we're going to have our opportunity. So looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to get to that very soon, and we hope you enjoy it. A little bit of technical difficulties with the phone connection, uh, but bear with them. Uh, bear with us if you can, because the stories are are absolutely tremendous. Uh, a lot of insight into booking. Uh, the territorial system of wrestling and how he changed a lot of the territories by using what Memphis did as far as using the smaller guys and how uh, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express and people like that became huge stars because of it. So if the phone goes in and out a little bit, we apologize. We tried to fix it. But, uh, you know, Mother Nature sometimes is uh, doesn't play fair. And uh, the weather was not great in Memphis today. So... We apologize for that in advance. Hey, uh, as we're taping this on Thursday afternoon, just got the ratings for the Wednesday Night Wars. And I'm sure you know this by now, 947,000 viewers for Dynamite, 721,000 for 
for NXT. So <laughs> ironically, it's kind of where we started, which is why, and, and Melcher has said this, and, and, and Cody has said this, and Tony Khan has said this, and I'm sure either, even Hunter said this, and I've said this, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist. It's, it's, it's a, um, uh, a marathon, not a sprint. And, uh, you know, two weeks ago, they were writing, uh, or three weeks ago, uh, they were writing dynamite off. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, Dynamite has dominated. Uh, I thought last week's show was, was fantastic, uh, the New Year's show. Uh, this, this week, I thought, had uh, a lot of good things and a few bad things. And, you know, we, we talked to Chris about it, and, and, and uh, other people in, in that company will be the first to tell you that for them, it's a learning process. Uh, they're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't, uh, what gets over live, what gets over on TV, um, and what doesn't. So uh, it's not, they're not going to be able to hit a home run every night. Uh, hell, every week, sorry. Hell, uh, Raw hardly hits a home run. Uh, and, and, you know, they've been doing, WWE's been doing this. They're the leader in the industry uh, for, for, for decades. So it's not always, for those who complain uh, or, or don't, I, I don't understand why anybody would be anti-AEW. Uh, I, 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 for those who don't know, I live tweet uh, on Wednesday nights, usually between 8 and 10 Eastern uh, when the uh, show is on. And I don't do like play-by-play of what you're seeing because you're seeing it. So you don't need me to tell you what you're seeing. But, um, you know, I try to give my insight and, and my comments. And this past week when they introduced Dave Brown, I, I told a story about Lance Storm as, uh, when I first came up to WCW as a stooge, book, bringing the enhancement guys, that other than Jody Hamilton, who was my boss, the first guy that actually gave me the time of day was Lance Russell. Uh, always something that I'll remember, and it always stood out to me because – I wasn't even an announcer then. Nobody knew I wanted to be an announcer. I was just a, some strange guy bringing up uh, uh, job guys from Tampa and, and, you know, later on walking around, you know, running things off and getting things signed. But even at the beginning, I wasn't even doing that. Um, but but Lance Russell, uh, God bless him, uh, came up to me, wanted to know my story and and, and really was, uh, was very uh, – uh, was very positive to me and encouraging to me. And so I told that story and, and, and I think Meltzer retweeted it and Bruce Mitchell retweeted it. So it's gotten some traction. So that's the kind of stuff I like to, I like to do when, uh, during dynamite. So if you, um, if you are not, uh, following me on Twitter and you think that's something you might be interested, hit me up at David Penzer, all one word. And like I said, most, most Wednesdays I am, uh, tweeting live, my thoughts and opinions and some stories during Dynamite. But my point is, I see a lot of people out there that like relish in them not doing well. And I just don't get that. I, I, you could be the biggest NXT fan in the world. I love you. We talked about this a little bit last week. I, and, I, and I don't want to keep uh, uh, going off on it. But why in the world would any fan want any c- company to do not to do well? To, to root for their demise? Uh I, I, just, I don't understand it. Uh, I don't. There's a lot I don't understand on social media and Twitter these days that goes far beyond that. But um, but dynamite. Uh, you know, we started at about this these numbers, and now we're starting off the year at about these numbers. And you know, they're going to fall, and and NXT is going to rise because I've told you guys if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, Hunter and Vince do not like losing, and so they will uh, continue to do things to try to change the game and then uh 
Dynamite and, and AEW will have to react. So uh, right now, the only thing I could say is I'm sure that there are some people that are not very happy in Orlando and Stamford, Connecticut right now. But next Wednesday is a new week, and as you've seen, anything could happen. Those ratings could flip-flop without even any explanation. So uh, we will continue to watch the Wednesday Night Wars as we do, but just a little bit to keep in mind as far as, uh, you know, they're a brand new group. They've only done three months of television. Uh, so, you know, not everything's going to be a home run. I remember in WCW or even XWF or even TNA, which I had no involvement in creatively, but, uh, you know, there were some things I'd read on a format and I think this is going to be great. And the idea in theory is, is, is sounds great. And you go out and it just doesn't work. And then there's some things you read and you say, this is going to be the shits. This, why did they write this? And you go out and it, it just clicks and, and you, there's just no, no rhyme or reason. You just have to throw out there what you think is interesting and hope. And, and then the smart company, and I believe AEW and WWE are both smart for sure. The smart companies will uh, learn from their mistakes and, uh, and, and accentuate their, their good, the good stuff that comes out. So just a little bit of uh, warp thinking in the mind of David Penzer, uh, if you don't mind. But I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter, as I said, at David Penzer. The show is at Penzer Ringside. And um, we're about to get to Bill Dundee, but next week's scheduled to have Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. To the best of my knowledge, and I'm 99% sure of this, the first time he has ever done a podcast. He's like been in hiding, not really hiding, Uh uh, he's just been living his life and walked away from the business, but it is an interesting story to tell. Uh, he trained Goldberg and so many other of the guys at the power plant. So, um, uh, so it should be great to talk to my old friend, Dwayne Bruce, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. If you have any questions for the Sarge, uh, you could, uh, hook me up, uh, hit me up on Twitter and I'll be happy to ask him your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I want to introduce my guest this week, I had some of the most fun I had in WCW was sitting at the bar with this guy hearing his stories. And that's why I wanted to uh, bring him on the podcast. Uh, what a crazy career, what a crazy life and what a smart guy though, when it comes to what, what, what the wrestling business takes and some, uh, some really, uh, I think you're going to hear some really, uh, amazing uh, stories from the territory business and uh, something that I didn't realize that made Memphis into such a, uh, a, a top drawing territory for so long. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, he is the author of If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question and so much other stuff that he has on his Facebook group, Superstar Bill Dundee on Facebook. Please welcome to City Ringside, Superstar Bill Dundee. Our guest this week on City Ringside is a legend in professional wrestling and a super legend, if there is such thing, in the Memphis, Tennessee wrestling territory and uh, got a little chance in WCW to uh, hear a few of his stories and, and, and hang around him a little bit and found him very smart about the business and very entertaining, so definitely wanted to get him on the podcast. He has a Facebook group. Uh, under Superstar Bill Dundee. So go to Facebook, Google, or Google hit, uh, put in Superstar Bill Dundee. Uh, he has a three DVD set coming out for only $29, including shipping on his feud with Jerry the King Lawler, and also an autobiography called If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question, and a movie coming out this year. We'll talk about that as well. But ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome my guest, Superstar Bill Dundee. How are you, sir? Good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Great to talk to you. 
All right, you too. Been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. So I was, so I was doing some research on, you know, I always try to look into uh, uh, the people that I'm, I'm talking to just to see what I don't know. I know a lot of things, but there's things that I find out that surprise me. And one of the things that I saw, um, I, I'm assuming it's true, but, you know, they put it on the internet. Internet doesn't mean that it's uh, always uh, gospel. But one of the things I saw is that before you got in the wrestling business, that you became a trapeze artist in the circus. And that surprised me because I had never heard that. Is that true? Well, I, let me put it this way. I was the elephant handler for Bullen Circus in Australia. And the guy said to me one day, why don't you do the trapeze? I said, I've never thought about that. And that was the trapeze guy. He said, well, I can teach you. So I had a shot at it and did it. And I thought, this is not what I want to do every night for a living. So I went back to the elephants. But yeah, I, I gave it a shot. But I was only seven, 17 years old. And when you're 17, you'll try anything. Sure. Sure. Uh, how do you learn how to be a trapeze artist? Is it all about timing? You know, yeah, everything has to be timed yeah, exactly? Yeah, it's all about timing. When the, the bar is swinging, you're swinging. Yeah, all, all about timing. Amazing! It's amazing what you find out when you uh, you look into people's background. That's cool. Hey, any old? Uh, I know that you were with the circus, and uh, any old time carny stories from your time in the circus? Uh, that that uh, you know, I always love the old uh, circus carny stories. I don't know if you had any. Well, yeah, but like I said, I was only a kid. I was seventeen, eighteen years old, and and if you get into a fight, you didn't really care much about. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, them things. Are, it, I had a hell of a time. We had w- one elephant named Betty. It hated me. She tried to kill me every day I was around her. She oh, would hook you with a trunk, try to pull you in under her feet, stomp on you, kneel on you, all kinds of things. And for some reason, she just hated me. Dale Fisher and, and, and a Mary named Rick was the other two guys that handled them. And it, she never touched them, but she hated me for some reason. <laughs> I'm just curious. I, I wasn't planning to ask you this, but it just popped into my head. So in Australia, did they speak Carney at the carnivals? Yeah. <laughs> they all did yeah, They did it, and, you know, it was just – and that's a whole language in itself. And the wrestlers back in the good old days talked yeah. Carney too. So yes. that's how re- professional wrestling started at the carnival. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I, I love – that a shot too. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned that. How did you transition from the circus and the carnival to the uh, to the pro wrestling business in Australia? Like I said, it was not much different. The only difference is you on the on the carnival you was wrestling Mark, so you had to be able to wrestle a little bit because they would say hey, you want to challenge it, you know. So that that was what that was challenging the Mark for the Mark's challenging you. So you better be able to look after you, yourself a little bit. So uh, did somebody come up to you and see you at the circus and say, hey, I think you, I could teach you how to be in the pro wrestling business, or is it just something – I'm just wondering how it happened. Me and the guy, them Dale Fisher, brother English, we said, fuck this, we've had enough of this circus thing. We're going back to Melbourne. So I went back to Melbourne, and he did too, and we were just hanging around. And this guy says to me, didn't you wrestle a little bit on the – on the circus, I said, well, yeah, but not, not, not really. I said, I tried it. He said, hey, I have a friend of mine that has a wrestling school about a mile down the road named Clive Corum. He said, you want me to introduce you to him? I said, yeah. So we went down to his gym, and he had posted and all kinds of things on his wall in his gym. I said, can you teach me to do that professional wrestling part? 
He said, you're not real big. I said, well, neither was David, but he whooped Goliath. So <laughs> anyway, he said, yeah, I'll give you the shot. So anyway, he kind of taught me the ins and outs of pro wrestling. Then Jim Barnett came to Australia with champion, Georgia Championship Wrestling. He called an Australian Championship Wrestling when he showed up. And we went to do jobs for him, me and George Barnes. We worked for him in 1975. We came over here. Yeah, I was going to say, the and that's how it all started. The, the million dollar question is, how did you uh, end up in Memphis from uh, from Australia? Did you have a stop, or did you go uh, in the middle, or did you come right to the Memphis territory, fresh out of uh, the Australia? Came right out, came right to the territory. A guy by the name of Bobby Shane, he came over and he was the booker, so he liked me and Barnes, and he says, "You two guys would get over like hell in Tennessee. They like smaller guys there." He says, well, do you know the promoter? He says, yeah. Nick Gullis and Jerry Jarrett's the booker. Here we are. George stayed about three months, didn't like it, went home, and I've been here ever since. I know. I was going to ask you, what about the Memphis territory really gelled with you, you your personality and your style? Well, I mean, it was, like I said, that you, the wrestling was the na- name of the game, and I could wrestle. And, and they liked it. And the Lollard liked it. The fighting style bad, but I like the wrestling of Billy Robertson and the Tony Charles, like real wrestling. And we wrestled, and the people liked it. If you're selling tickets, they'll keep you around forever. Did you have any idea in a million years that you were going to stay as long as you did? and Or did you just think, hey, I'm going to Memphis for a while, then I'll go back to Australia? Or, you know, could you ever have imagined? Well, you're kind of hoping, but we, we knew there was. All of America and they had a lot of wrestling offices. They had one in Australia. So if you have 30 in America, you have more of a chance of making it than just the one in Australia. So we figured if we get a chance, we, we can do this and we can get over. And we did set the place on fire. And George got homesick, went home, and I stayed. And the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, it's funny. We had uh, Luke Williams, uh, Bushwhacker Luke, on on the podcast yeah. uh, last year, and he had a similar journey of uh, starting as uh, doing undercard stuff for uh, Barnett, and then making his way. Yeah. I think they went through. I think they went through England and then came over. But it's interesting. Yeah, uh, him and Johnny Boyd. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we mentioned uh, the the three DV set that's coming out, or that is out on uh, your Facebook group, Superstar Bill Dundee, uh, for twenty nine dollars and includes shipping. Uh, and um, I wanted to ask you about uh, you know your famous feuds. Now it's, I'll say feuds uh, as a plural because uh, you guys went back and forth ta- as a tag team as as opponents. Uh, what wh- talk to me about the chemistry between you and Lawler that made it so special? We didn't like one another. Oh, really? I want to say we didn't like one another, but we, it, there was a kind of a real heat. He was here when we got here. Him and Jared had fell out for a little bit, and he left, and George and I got over. So by the time Lawler came back, there was a new new dog in the yard, and he wanted the yard back. Well, George got homesick, went home, so that left me as a single, and I didn't want to give that up to Lawler, so... When we got in the ring, we we gave it we're all. We wanted to be show the people who the best was, or Derry Jarrett who the best was, and the thing clicked and it drew money. Been around forty years, so so like more of a professional that, that started there. More of a professional rivalry than heat. I, I was, am, I, am I right? Right. That's that? that's the word. That is the word 
we're looking for. Yes. Uh, that's and that's the chemistry that worked because it was real. You know, you, it wasn't real that you yeah, guys wanted yeah. to kill each other, but it was real that, you know, you wanted to pop a gate and, you know, he wants to pop a gate. And I'm sure there was a lot knowing Jerry and, and knowing you a little bit. I'm sure there was a lot of a lot of back and forth as to oh, did you see the gate in Louisville last week and with me on top and, you know, Lawler two weeks later. So uh, it must have been. Uh, right. Must have been a fun, fun back and forth. Um, I was gonna, I was, oh, gonna, yeah. I was gonna bring this up later, but um, I know that you booked in Memphis. I know that uh, they would switch bookers in Memphis since you were talking about a professional rivalry. Uh, how much of a rivalry would there be when somebody would get the book? Like, you know, if if Jarrett would give the book to you, and then Lawler would get the book six months later. I'm assuming based on what you already told me that there not only as far as headlining and, and drawing numbers, but there was a lot of professional rivalry over who could uh, draw bigger houses as Booker. Right. You, you did that, but you never talked about it. You just kept that to yourself. And he owned part of the territory. When Nick Dulles and Jerry Jarrett split, Jared ended up with territory. Jarrett was smarter than Nick business-wise. He gave him 10 points when he started. I give you 10% of the houses we draw whatever the deal he made and all the good part of the office. So you never had any points in in the Memphis territory? No. I mean, they paid me good, but never had no real points. Well, a little bit he gave me, one time he gave me a few points in in the spot shows, and then we ended up getting in the beef over so and the points went away. But that's another story. You know how the wrestling business was back then, but anyway. I've heard from people who have worked in Memphis, uh, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even at the end, that you are the innovator of some of the greatest gimmick merchandise in the history of uh, professional wrestling. Um, did you have that's just stuff you came up with? I know you sold Bill Dundee pencils and I heard other stuff that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, do you just sell anything that would sell or do you throw anything against the wall? Well, it was a kind of like that because it was all new. Nobody knew what was going to sell. But I realized this. If you put a picture of Bill Dundee on something, the girls thought it was cute and they would buy it. And some guys would buy them too. You know the old-fashioned wrestling poster where they would have the pictures of the wrestler. I have one hanging in my office. It's Monday night, March the 17th, 1975, bell time, 8 p.m., Mid-South Coliseum and the picture is me and Barnes versus Tojo Yamamoto and Eddie Marlin and they have a picture of Tojo and Eddie so that's how they used to do it back in them days well after a while I figured out people will buy this so I would take it and sell it and the other guys would do it too but so I figured out they like the picture built up and I think with my picture on it was usually sellable, but I was real cute back then. <laughs> you were <laughs> Get, getting back to the feud with Jerry Lawler. I've been wet since since we uh, knew that you were coming on. I've been waiting to ask you this question. Uh, one of the you know you guys have been feuded on and off for forty years probably, but one of the most famous ones ended with you losing uh, your hair and then putting up your wife's hair. Uh, which she lost the next week uh, versus loser leave town with Lawler, and I'm just wondering, how did you convince your wife to get her head shaved? <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> no, I mean we. They paid me back then three thousand dollars for the haircut. Yeah, that was a lot of money. She said, wow, that's pretty good. And I said, 
not too bad. I could get you $3,000. And she said, no, I wouldn't do that. So about halfway through the week, she comes to me and she said, if we do this deal and I get $3,000, I get to keep it and spend it on anything I want, right? I, yeah, with your money, you spend on anything you want. She said, well, okay, tell Jared I'll do it. And Lala's eyes went, uh, he said, would she do that? Uh, she said she would. So anyway, she got the pay off and she was happy. House was sold out. Jerry Jarrett was happy. Lala made my wife bald and me bald. And he was happy. So anyway, that was the story of the, ha- the haircuts. What was their reaction? I'm talking about Jared and Lawler, uh when you came to them and said, hey, my wife's willing. Because I, I thought maybe it was something they might have asked you if you, they would entertain. But since this is uh, came from, from her and from you, what was their reaction? Was uh, did they, Were they like beyond belief that uh, she was willing to do that? Well, I mean, we had just moved countries halfway around the world, and, you know, we were trying to buy a house and get everything in order. We'd started from scratch when we showed up in Tennessee from Australia, so they kind of knew that it was the money thing, you know what I mean? So, no, they never they just said, well, okay. And, you know, Lola went, wow, that'll be the first for that. I make you bald one week and her bald the next week. I said, well, okay. It worked. It sold out. Laura and Jared paid us, so that was good. So, do you remember what she spent the three grand on? Oh, you know what women spend it on. <laughs> she we just bought a new Lincoln, so she paid most of that off, and then clothes and stuff like that. She never bought no jewelry or nothing like that, but she just had a couple of bills she probably paid off. So, no, no, she didn't squander it. She did good with it. So. I when I when I told I was talking to my wife this uh, this week about uh, this this I was telling her about this and I was going to be talking to you and I asked her how much money it would take for her to shave her head off. yeah and I said stipulate that you could spend it all on whatever you want I'm not taking a dime and she couldn't come up with a number so God bless you man uh, that's a great story and it's funny not only was it the first time as Lawler had said that you shave your head one week and wife said the next week uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I don't believe it ever happened again. No, nobody ever done it again. Beverly's hair didn't grow quick enough for us to do it. <laughs> yeah, no. But it, it grew like a son of a git. And when, when he beat me in the, in the match, you could have had the pin drop because the people knew what was coming next. It went from screaming and hollering, Drew and the referee, went one, two, three, and the whole building went, wow. And then they realized, he just beat Dundee and he's going to shave his wife's head in the next half hour or whatever. And that's how it was. And Beverly wandered around, sat in the chair. The barber came down, got in the ring, took his little robe out and cut her hair. And then the people started the riot. And Lola and me were standing in the ring. I said, Lola, they're going to fuck this place up or we don't get her out of this ring. Because the people were just hot. So you were the baby face in that feud? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize I that. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, we were the baby face. Miss Dundee was the baby face. Oh, my God. Lawler was the big heel. No wonder Lawler was so happy when you told him she would do that. Wow. He cheated to win. You know how it was back in the good old days. So, yeah, it was unbelievable. I was I was thinking that. People thought, wow. Yeah. I was thinking that you were the heel and that they were po- that they popped after, you know, because they never thought in a million years your wife would get her head shaved. I had no idea that you were the baby face. Holy crap. Talk about, yeah. No, I was the good guy. Wow. Yeah. She wow. was the baby face. 
Wow. Lola screwed me. That's even better stuff. And is, is this stuff on the, the DVD set that's on sale now on your Facebook group? Yeah, somewhere. I have, I can't remember what friggin' one it's on, but anyway, yeah, I have it. It's, it's on DVD. He owns one of them, yeah. I'm going to have to order that. That's, I'm going to have to show my wife now. That's tremendous. Some of the other memorable Memphis feuds you had, I was looking. Uh, talk, I'm going to bring up some names. Just tell me what you remember about them and what you you know uh, what you remember about working with them. Uh, how about Dutch Mantel? Okay. Oh, Dutch was good. He was. He, he believed he was from Oil Trough, Texas. So, yeah, I enjoyed working with Dutch, and he was a hell of a work. How about uh, Jimmy Valiant? Hampton <laughs> was a hell of a showman. Not much of a wrestler. Wrestled. He, he, he never liked nothing stiff or nothing. He, he just. But he was over, and that's all that matters. So, and he could talk, and that's what talks him into the building, the, the interview. So it, it was good working with him too. Speaking of somebody who could talk, any memories about working with Austin Idol? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hear, I hear you. you got to figure out how you can put him over all the time and not hurt yourself. No, I I, I enjoyed I I enjoyed his person. I mean, I liked him as a guy, too. And he, I guess he had the same kind of personality. He thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and I did, too. So it was I, I enjoyed working with him, and he could work, and he could talk. So it sounds to me like a lot of the things that were made uh, uh, Memphis territory a success is that the ego, that there were truly egos involved and everybody wanted to outdraw and out wrestle each other. Would that be right? Right. That, that every, yeah, you, because it was a weekly territory and you was in the best town in the world every Monday night. And if it was selling at eleven, twelve thousand dollars every Monday for ten weeks in a row, then it dropped. Something was wrong you did something wrong people yeah. didn't just quit coming they didn't enjoy what they saw on tv or the angle was wrong and sometimes we would do that that's fascinating what are your memories it of- was fun yeah what are your memories of jimmy hart who's a good friend of mine oh Hart, the mouth of the south i like jimmy i got along good with him he was no i like jimmy hart he was very good at what he did I mean, he went from a singer to a wrestling manager and got a ton of heat on him. So, yeah, talk about no, a guy, he was very good. Talk about a guy who didn't have any ego at the time. He was just happy to be in right. the business. Right, technically, yeah. Were you there when Andy Kaufman came in and did his famous angle with Lawler? Yeah. What were your thoughts about it? Were you did you think it was a good idea, or, or did you think uh, what are we doing this for? No, because Lawler did what. He was supposed to do. He kicked Andy's ass every time they went to the ring. So it wasn't like he was letting Andy win nothing. Andy was a, a comedian from New York and television entertainer, and he got his ass kicked, and that's what was supposed to happen to him. And I, I, I don't know Andy. I never met Andy, but I was a huge Andy Kaufman fan, and I could guarantee you he loved every minute of getting his ass kicked in the wrestling ring. Uh, from what every I Every minute. He did. He <laughs> certainly did. He enjoyed every part of the wrestling business. God bless and he was a nice guy. He was always nice to, to me. Yeah, I, I got in the wrestling business about uh, seven years too late because uh, if I if I, there was one person that I could, you know, dead or alive, that other than you, Bill, that I could have a cocktail with, it'd probably be Andy Kaufman. I was always a huge fan even before he did the wrestling thing. Hey, um, 
Tell, tell me about, at one point you went and you uh, started booking for Bill Watts in 1983, 1984-ish. And, and right around that time, there was that famous talent trade where Watts got the Midnight Express, Jim Cornette, and the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, were you involved in making that trade happen? Yeah, he came up and he told Jerry Jarrett he started, he was dead and he needed help. So Jerry Jarrett said to him, See that little son of a bitch sitting over there? Go talk to him. Ask him if he wants to be your booker and give him the job as the booker. He said, well, Dundee? He said, yeah. Go talk to him and see what he says. So he came over to me and he said, no, this is what year did we say this was? Right, 83, 84. Yeah, 83, 84. So he comes over to me and he said, he calls every buddy stud when he first meets. He said, hey, stud, Jared said to me, you may would like to come and be my booker. I said, well, yeah. Are you offering me a job? He said, yeah. He said, and if we get it going, he said, I guarantee you won't have a week below $3,000. I won. Every week, $3,000. That's how big the territory You got to go. You could make a lot of money. Are you the one that brought rock and roll and, and Midnight Express in? Yeah. He, he didn't know none of them people. So if, if I get the job, the book, and I go to Ricky and Robert, and I say, hey, man, I'm going to Louisiana. You want to go with me? He said, hell yeah. So then the Midnight Express, where Bobby Eaton was married to my, my daughter, so I knew I could get him, and Dennis just came anyway, and Cornette. So we changed the crew, and that was all Bill, Bill needed. That's all Louisiana needed. Been pushing the same guys, Jim Duggan, Hacksaw Duggan, Hacksaw Butch Reed. And, and a bunch of guys, buddy. Well, no, I, I took buddy. So, yeah, they, they were just did a rest, and we came in, smaller guys bumping all over the place, and it was different. And it set the woods on fire, as they say. When you sit back and you see a rock and roll express get inducted into the WD, WWE Hall of Fame like they did, is there a part of you that kind of like pats yourself on the back, not, not metaphorically? I'm talking, not literally, and says, you know, I, I helped get them there, or I, I got them there. Well, yeah, you you, you can have that uh, feeling for you know for a fleeting moment. So yeah, I guess it's like making making a movie. You make one with John Wayne. Your chances of drawing at the box office is very good. So it was the same with Ricky and Robert. Once we got them hot, you could you could do nothing wrong. So yeah, and Louisiana had never seen guys that size. Bill Watts worked. He booked everybody was big and monstrous and lumbered around. We went in there with smaller guys, set the place on fire, and the rest is history, as they say. It is history, absolutely. Uh, how was it working for Watts? He's uh, has a reputation as a bully. Uh, uh, I know he paid well. I know the trips were long. How was it working? Did you ever have any problems with him, or he was just happy as long as you guys were drawing? Right, and and they're all all promoters are like that. In fact, the boys are happy when you're drawing. I mean, everybody wants to do good. So Bill Watts was a businessman, and he realized what was going on. No, he come to me one time in his house, and his wife was there, and he said, hey, man, you ain't going to fill this place up with midgets all the time, are you? And she said, Bill Watts, let me stop you there. Go look at your check and see what it is. And he said, point taken. 
Yeah, I mean, not only did it did it change their territory, it actually, in some ways, changed the entire wrestling business because they would go on to go to uh, NWA, as you know, and 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 WCW, and and uh, you know, they're now legendary teams that uh, that that changed the way tag team wrestling was seen in a lot of the big man territories. So it wasn't only it wasn't only Mid South. It was not to not to blow smoke, but. Uh, uh, it totally changed the entire business. So, so kudos, man. Great stuff. Right. I mean, that's what it was. See, here's the thing. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of time, what is the first story of the book we ever read? It was David and Goliath in the Bible, right? Yes, sir. And look at that story. A little bitty fella, and, and he killed the big giant. And re- wrestling had never done that. They were always big guys that do this and do that and lumbered around like, Clydesdale horses, and I'm not saying big guys can't work, but Louisiana had never seen guys Ricky and Robert size or my size or the Midnight Express. And when they saw it, was just different. Everybody got over, and we made a lot of money to get. Uh, the only thing out of it that might be considered a negative is that everyone and their brother came up with a Rock and Roll Express ripoff tag team. Did you ever roll your eyes and say, oh, geez, another one? Well, yeah, but they weren't really drawing nothing, so we didn't have nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it would hey. be like, I guess, Elvis in his day, and they were all Elvis impersonators, so if it ain't Elvis, it ain't the right thing, so it was the same with the, the wrestling business. You could have Rock and Roll Express, but if you just had a team trying to be the Rock and Roll Express, it wasn't the Rock and Roll Express, so we we just went on, never worried about it. That's a great point, actually, Bill. Hey, um, I noticed that as the territory started to to die, uh, Crockett started, Jim Crockett started buying them, specifically Kansas City and then uh, what I grew up watching, Championship Wrestling from Florida. And it seemed to me, just looking back, and even at the time, if you look at the results, that you seemed to be the guy that was sent to first Kansas City and then uh, Florida to kind of oversee it for Crockett. What was your role that in that? Just what you said, the overseas, and just you can have the fastest race car in the world and put it on the track, but if you can't drive it, you can't do nothing with it. And the wrestling business is the same way. If you have Ricky and Robert in a hot angle and you don't know what to do with them, they don't draw. So, like I said, and I'm not just saying it because it was me, but the Booker has as much. You know, he, he he's as much as of them getting over as them. They go go out and work hard, but he go put them in the right spot and do the right thing with them. And I was little, and I knew how little people worked, so it was easy for me to come up with finishes for Ricky and Robert. Why do you think ultimately the uh, the Kansas City and Florida territories uh, didn't make it? A lot of people have said that it was because they would uh, they would bring their big guys, Dusty and Rock and Roll and Midnight Express and the Horsemen, for big shows, and then it left, made it seem like the local guys, the local stars, when they left, uh, weren't a big deal. Is there any truth to that, or was there other circumstances? Well, no, it's definitely what you said. I mean, if you go see Elvis. In the, in the live rock and roll show, and he's there every night. He become just a guy singing there every night. But you bring bring him in two times a year or three times a year. He's a big deal, and Ricky and Robert would like that too. 
we bring in the, the Midnight Express, Rick, Rick and Robert put them on a show, and they would draw, draw for three or four weeks, then they would be gone, and then it would be local guys the next week, and it would take a drop. That's just human nature. Kind of puts you between a rock and a hard place because your job is to draw money, but right. you, can't, you can't have them all the time. As I know, you were in WCW as Sir William. Was that a relief as far as you didn't really have to wrestle? You just put on an outfit and came out and sort of the mouthpiece for, for Steve Regal. Was that sort of like almost like an easy paycheck? Or we all know WCW at the time was kind of tricky to navigate the political waters. Right. No, Dusty was the head honcho. Mike Graham was a booker. I was a booker. Greg Gagne was a booker. So Dusty Rose... Mike Graham, Greg Gunn, Bill Dundee were the four pencils in the office, Te- technically. So we need to do something with Lord Stephen Regal. That was before he was the Lord. Right. We, need, we need to make him a Lord. Get Larry Sabisco up here. I want to make him the manager of Lord Stephen Regal. We're going to call him Lord Regal. Dusty, uh, let me ask you a question. What the fuck does Larry Sabisco know about an English Lord? He said, well, what are you suggesting? At least I'm British. So that's how that all came about. No real thought, thought to it. It was just, and I didn't mean it, Larry and Sabisco can't work, but if you're trying to have heat as the British team, you can't have an American. So you recently filmed a movie called Screecher, which is coming out in the fall of 2020 on Netflix and on demand. Tell me about the transition from wrestling all these years to acting in a movie. Was there a lot different about it? And if so, what? No. You just go know what to say. The only difference is they tell you what to say. They give you the script, you read it, and you stay with the script. Wrestling, I made up my own shit. So it's when I of- went out to talk about Lawler, it was what was in my head to say about him. Nobody else wrote it down and said, Bill, say this, like they do in a movie. And that, the other thing is, we were trying to be, well, as as real as you can get in the wrestling business, that's how you, is it? You, the interview does it. So... So it sounds like the uh, movie business is a little different. They don't want you to go off the script. No, it sounds like WWE, actually. (laughs) I hear you. Hey, uh, wrapping things up, and I appreciate your time. I could talk to you for hours, and I hope to see you down the line. Uh, But I know your time is valuable. Looking time, is there one or two favorite memories you could point out in the crazy ride that was your life, or or is it just a, a combination of 40 years of ups and downs? No, it's just what you said, 40 years of up and down, and sometimes it was real good. You'd get a three-month run somewhere or like in Memphis, and it would be great. All of a sudden, ants would fall out of it, and the houses would be bad, and you're thinking, what did I do wrong? Because usually when the rest of it is as those dive down, you did something wrong on television. Yeah, and then you've got to try just to, have to figure, figure it out, out and yeah. start all over again. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, the uh, autobiography is called If You Don't Want the Answer, Don't Ask the Question. Uh, there's a bunch of DVD sets, including the three DVD set on the feud with Jerry Lawler that we talked about uh, for $29. And it's all on uh, Superstar Bill Dundee's Facebook group. So go on to Facebook and uh, and be sure to put in Superstar Bill Dundee in the search engine. And uh, I'm going to do that. Uh, and, uh, and I suggest you do, too. And uh, you could hear from the superstar himself stories just like the ones he told here and uh 
and also purchase some of the history, great history of, of, of the professional wrestling business back in the territory days that I know we all miss. Hey, Bill, thank you so much. Best of luck to you. Hope to see you down the road. Appreciate it. My brother, to the same show. I enjoyed it, had fun, and I hope the people listened to it. Great stuff with Superstar Bill Nundee. Want to thank him and uh, be sure to go to his Facebook page and follow him. I have already done so. And uh, we do apologize for a little bit of uh, phone difficulties. Uh, weather was off, uh, was bad in his area. And so it's just one of those things. But uh, if you hung with us, uh, I think the stories were fascinating. And, and it never dawned on me that the, the reason why Memphis was such a, uh, a good territory is because they legitimately all uh, were, you know, not as a shoot competing against each other, but we're competing each other to see who could draw the bigger houses and who could get the, there was a lot of professional rivalry between the Lawlers and the Dundees and the, the Austin idols and the, uh, the Jimmy Valiants and the people like that. So fascinating stuff. And, um, you know, he, 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 you know, rock and roll express and, and midnight express. And I think Cornette mentioned in his interview that we had with him here a couple of years ago, it's been that long, uh, you know, that he owes that opportunity to go to mid South that then got them, uh, their WCW deal to, uh, Bill Dundee for bringing them in to the mid South. Hey guys, uh, we always tell you to send in your reviews, uh, tell your friends and neighbors and, uh, review us if you can. Uh, saw, uh, <laughs> it's funny that I, I, I saw it like that, Jerry. Uh, I saw a recent review and, and I appreciate each and every one of them and I, and, and we pay attention to each and every one of them. I saw one that, uh, mentioned that I say, uh, a lot and I appreciate that, uh, review and I do apologize. It's something that we've tried to work on. It's just, and it's funny because when I ring announce, when I'm in front of a crowd on a microphone, I, I don't think I ever say, uh, but it's just one of those things in conversation. That's sort of my go-to word. So I do apologize. I know it drives Jerry P. Tuck nuts. If it drives you nuts, I am sorry. Uh, we hope the content is good enough to put up with the uhs. So, uh, but, uh, and I say, uh, right after I say that, uh, and I say, uh, right after I say that, welcome to Jerry P. Tuck's life, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey guys, if I could fix it, I would. Trust me. Anyway, looking forward next week to Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, Dwayne Bruce. If you have a question for him, write it on Twitter on my Twitter page at David Penzer, all one word. And ladies and gentlemen, be sure to check out on Wednesday when I once again live tweet my thoughts about the pro wrestling business and the AEW Dynamite show on Twitter. It's been a lot of fun, and I've really. Uh, uh, there we go again. I, I've, re- I've really, uh, now I'm paranoid. Now it's in my head. Jesus, I, I need a drink. But I re- I've really uh, have had fun with the, the, the tweeting on Wednesday nights. So anyway, until next week, and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, this is David Penzer, still sitting ringside. Goodbye, and have a good week. Uh. Follow David Penzer on Twitter, at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is an MJ Morning Show podcast quick fix on Radio Influence. I picked my wife up from the airport and she's like, see that lady on the curb? I'm like, yeah. She goes, crazy cat lady. And I'm like, okay. She's like, no, you don't understand. She brings the cat on. And she wants to talk to the cat before the flight. 
and the cat's in a carrier. And she stuck her whole head in the cat carrier and then let go of it. So the whole cat carrier is supported by like her neck and her fat head. And she's talking to her cat and everybody can hear. So now every nobody wants to have anything what? to do with her. Then the flight takes off. And she's talking to Monkey, the cat. And right. she feeds Monkey by pulling out a baby bottle and starts feed. And this cat is bottle trained. This cat's oh. just, you know, drinking out of the bottle. Yeah, but I don't think this qualifies as an emotional support animal racket. It sounds like she was just a regular traveler with her pet in a carrier. Yeah, My, but she's still nuts. Yes. That's disgusting. <laughs> all, right, all right, so what I, happens? I don't care what delineation we're giving this lady. All right. After she feeds the cat out of the bottle, she pulls out deli meats, like, <laughs> like, like, like turkey Ew. and ham, and she starts chewing it up and starts feeding the cat mouth to mouth. Like Whoa. Birdie Birdie style. Oh, my God. She's baby birding the cat chewed up cold cuts. What, is she taking it out and then putting it in the cat's mouth? No, she's, she, she took out like a piece of ham, chewed it up until it was pulverized, and then just like puckered her lips and then oh, like stop. pushed out a little bit of ham. <laughs> and the cat just comes up and... <laughs> That's what baby birding is. I know. She, she, she baby birded the, the cat. Oh. The MJ Morning Show podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, mjmorningshow.com, and radioinfluence.com.